Well, this morning we want you to hear the report of the team that went to Rwanda. We thoroughly were blessed in the first service and uh, that, that you guys did just an awesome job. You don't have to be quite as pinched, you know, okay, but I don't want you to leave anything good out either, okay? Rex, come and, come and share with us. Nothing, nothing pressing but lunch after this. I got scripts. Yeah. Good to focused. See you, we're focused. We have our fourth wheel here for the second service. We were missing him the first. Um, just a little introduction as to the why we went to Rwanda. Um, and then Sean, Lane, and Charlie are going to share, and then I'll close with a little uh, view for the future maybe. Um, about a year ago or so, um, Bob and Heidi Morgan from Virginia Dale brought um, a fellow that they had come to know as he was going to school at CSU. His name's John. He's an, uh, a native to Rwanda, Africa. And um, he came and was going to do a presentation. And his presentation is about Arise Rwanda Ministries. And if you want to know more about that ministry, uh, clean water, the Have a Cow program, the, the preschools and the porridge, or the Kivu Hills Academy. It's a tech school where they're educating um, young guys and gals in the trades mainly. Um, but the, at the same time, they have chapel every Friday. But uh, look them up online. But before he st stood up in the coffee shop here to give his presentation, he asked me or, or made a statement. He said, I, Bob and Heidi have told me that you guys really preach the word here. And, um, you know, he said, he, before I left there to come over, I asked the pastors, what do they need? Um, and he'd think, you know, indoor plumbing or something. No, it was, it was their, de heart, their desire was to have people from here come over there and, and teach them to study the word, to know God's word, and what that looked like in their lives. So we actually got a memo, an email from them before we left that was, their questions were, help us study the word and teach us how that applies to families, you know, husbands, wives, kids uh, in your daily life. And what does discipleship look like? And of course, you know, hey, go somewhere and teach the word. We're all over that. So I, I just had a, I had a real burden to do that. And then sitting one night with dinner at dinner with Sean and his wife, Debbie, um, I, I, I shot the idea at him. Hey, what do you think about this? Sean and I have done ministry, and I, I go anywhere and teach with that guy. So I, I shot it at him, and he said, yeah, man, that, I have to talk to Debbie and pray about it, but I'm in. I think this would be great. So then I introduced it at our small groups and at the Hanson service where these two guys heard about it. And after, a, I think it was a Hanson service, Charlie comes up and says, so what are you planning? And I said, well... The two things to me that were the most impressing, I, I loved all of it, but the two things that were most impressing to me as I went through seminary was how to study the Bible, one. A literal, grammatical, historical approach to Scripture. God wrote for a reason, and we ought to know it. And then two, just an overview of all of Scripture. So I told Charlie, and I got a, got a big one, but I, I'd like to start in Genesis and head for the maps is what I'd like to do, and just skip along and just give them an overview, the breadth of Scripture, and uh, he said, 
or I asked him, actually, I said, how about you go and do Genesis um, creation, man? That's your thing. You could teach the first few chapters. He said, I'm in. I'll go. Then, I don't know, a few weeks later, Lane brought it up and started asking questions. And I asked him, are you interested? And he said, well, if there was something I could do, <laughs> something he could do. He can teach Ephesians after we're done doing what we're doing. So that was the heart we had um, as the Lord laid it up upon us to go. Um, things grew from there. And I'll let Sean share. Well, thanks for letting us come this morning. And um, as, as Rex was saying, this... This trip, starting over a year ago, um, well, first of all, I'd just like to say I have a problem. I have a problem because a while back when I started hanging out with Sam when he was here, um, one day he came to me and he was talking to me and I said, yeah, I have this opportunity to preach. I think it was in Hannah at that time. And he maybe have already went, but I can't remember. He said, would you like to preach? Or I was telling him I'd like to preach or he would like me to go preach. And I said, well, I got to pray about that. And he said, Why? I said, I don't know. I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And he said, you don't need to pray about preaching God's word. You're already commanded to do that. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, So when somebody says, would you like to preach? Would you like to teach God's word? My answer is yes. I'm not going to go spend some time praying about that. We are called to hold up the word of God and to preach and teach it to those around us. So if you ever, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation or if you have that problem, I want to take it from you. I want to give you a different problem. The answer is yes, if somebody asks you for that. The same thing happened to me with Rex at dinner. He said, do you want to go teach the word of God to people who desire to hear it? And I said, yes, I want to go. And, um, and it was more than I could, I could ask or imagine. God always does this, right? I didn't even know what to expect. I've never been to Africa. Um, many people ask you all the time. If you, they say, hey, what are you doing? I'm going to Africa. Oh, you better be careful. You know, you better, be, you better be on your guard. I hear things about that place. Well, I hadn't heard anything about it besides maybe what we learned about the genocide while we were there and Charlie teaching me all the way there and all the way back about the genocide and what was going on. Um, but one thing I do know, I do know that for five years, John, this guy that we were going with, was praying and trying to get these group of pastors into one place. 26 pastors. 26 pastors in one room couldn't do it, but when we showed up, they were all there. That's a God thing. These people from different denominations, different backgrounds, big uh, walks of life, and here they are in one room to listen to these guys teach the Word of God. Uh, That was amazing. Some guys would walk three hours. One guy walked three hours each way for four days to listen to the Word of God. Many were an hour away or hour and a half away down mountains. I mean, it's no flat country. It's all steep hills. And it blew me away um, that they were there every day faithfully before we were. And um, they sit all day listening to it. And John would say, because we had a language problem and we had an interpreter, he would say, they had never heard anything like this before. They want you to keep teaching. They want you to come back. Can you come back in three months, they would say. And uh, it was very overwhelming. Um, simple stuff, okay? We really only made it through the Pentateuch and barely at that to try to hit these high points of Scripture. And my goal, along with these guys too, was to have them connect the breadth of Scripture together to let them know that it's all useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, right? 
We wanted to see that. We wanted to see that you can read it and know it and understand it. And you can apply it to your life. That was really our desire as we prayed and as we went. And to see those men and their wives there hungry for the word of God was really refreshing to me from my own study. And it was a blessing that God would send us there to teach. And hopefully our prayer now is that whatever we taught, that they would take the word of God and take it and they'd apply it and know that they can read it and understand it themselves. We left them our emails, our numbers. If they have questions, they can call. They are already going back in June. She takes many trips with John. So the invitation is open for teachers. One thing that we know for sure is that men need discipled there. And many, somebody else might touch on that. I wasn't here last time. But that is one thing we know. They need discipled because they might be Seventh-day Adventists. They might be a Catholic background, but it is really superficial. They want to know the Word of God. They love Jesus. And several times we sang that song, Jesus paid it all. And to, all, to him I owe. And they sang it. And they sang it, and they sang it over and over again. One thing they do believe is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came and died for their sins. They just need help moving along in that. So that's our prayer from now on. I don't know if we'll go. I don't know who will go, um, but uh, there is definitely a need. So thank you guys for your prayers. And um, it was good. Yeah, I wanted to... share my testimony of how God worked in my heart through the trip to Rwanda. Um, God had really laid it on my heart to go share his word with the people at Bonanza there, but it was something I really wrestled with. Uh, I was really scared to because I don't like speaking in public. Um, But God really placed it on my heart and while we were over there the night before I was going to teach on Ephesians, I got full of doubt and really wanted to leave. And if there would have been an easy way to come home, I, I would have. But uh, uh, praise God, he put me in a place where I couldn't come home very easy. Uh, and... Uh, I didn't, I really didn't do, none of us did anything important. Uh, we were just allowed to be used by God. And, and that's a real, real privilege to be able to carry his word to other people just like us. And God keeps bringing me back to verses I learned when I was a kid. And one of these is James 1, 2 through 3 which says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And the other verses are John 15, 1 through 11, uh, which talks about pruning the branches so they will bear more fruit. And then in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I was very aware of the fact that I could do nothing, but God showed me that through what he has done for us, he enables us to do what he has called us to do. 
and just praise God for that. Jesus finishes that paragraph in uh, John 15 there with verse 11, and this says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And if it would not have been for God's training and the trials that he brought, I would have missed out on that joy. And I really praise God for that because it's real joy just seeing him work over there, seeing him work through every individual. And praise God for that. So when we were told that we had 10 minutes to share or describe Rwanda, um, my first thought was we'd stand up here and laugh uncontrollably for five minutes and then cry for five minutes. That would describe our experience in Rwanda. It was just fascinating. Um, my personal highlight was I adopted a daughter while I was over there. And uh, this is Sharon. She serves as the mission coordinator for Arise. And, uh, and that my daughter here has allowed her into the Fathers and Daughters Club. Uh, we're very excited about getting to know her. Uh, the reason I went, of course, was when Rex invited me to teach creation and evolution, I'll go anywhere to do that. Um, what I found in my study of Rwanda and my experience there um, was a little bit heavier than that. So if you guys just strap in, this gets a little bit deep. Rwanda proved to be uh, a study in, in the natural consequences of Darwinian evolution. Uh, simply put, Darwin's evolution provides an avenue for you to pick anybody you choose unworthy, to discard them up to the point of exterminating them. Now, you won't see that in your textbook. That is Darwinian evolution at its core. So a little quick history lesson on how Rwanda got in that position. In 1871, Darwin writes his book, The Descent of Man, where in it he calls for the extermination of indigenous people. And in doing so, you provide um, uh, room uh, to preserve and to uh, uh, advance the human species. We've always had human conquest, I get that. Now we have scientific purpose in our conquest. And in 1885, Belgium did just that when they took their scientific license into the Congo and devastated it. Uh, 1923, Rwanda was given to Belgium by the League of Nations. In 1934, Belgium sent ethnologists to Rwanda to determine the superior race from among the two people groups that were there. Measuring eyes distance and measuring the cranial capacity and measuring the jaws, they're gonna figure out who's the superior race. It's as ugly as it gets from a human being standpoint. So they, uh, they did, they determined that one of these tribes was the superior race and that created a division in a hatred that Rwanda had never seen before. And that lit the bomb, lit the fuse for the bomb that went off in 1994, genocide. Just like you see in this genocide memorial in Nyamata, it's in a Catholic church, shovel of them are. Um, there is uh, 
the, the bones uh, and the skeletons are stacked up in caskets that are piled up like cordwood. 10,080 men, women, and children were slaughtered inside this church building. The, the Darwinian plan is the, is the same plan that affected Rwanda. It's the same plan that we teach in our public school systems today, Darwinian evolution. And it's the same plan that built Margaret Sanger's planned parenthood, where I have an article with me that a month ago, they put out an advertisement suggesting specifically black kids be aborted because it's statistically safer for a black woman to abort than to give live birth to the child, take the child to term. There's still a genocide against blacks in our country today. The Rwandan genocide gets repeated every year in America and has ever since 1973. Last year alone, New York City aborted more black kids than were born. What we saw in Rwanda, what we saw God doing, even as a result, we talk, we've had hours and hours of conversations about how nasty things were, but you take that much casualty and what God has done with it is just phenomenal to watch. The Christ-centered church has come front and center. Um, God-authored forgiveness takes place all the time. It, it's beautiful to see. Uh, just picture two women living side by side in 1994. The husband of the one woman goes next door and slaughters the family of the other woman. Today... Those two women still live in the same two houses. They worship together, they pray together, and they do a business together. That, that, only, that can only happen through the forgiveness of God. Those stories repeated themselves the whole trip we were over there and seeing Christ at the center of it all. That's inspiring. So by way of a little close, it, one little piece of encouragement before I, before I do close. In the first service, I, I made mention of it, but just to see the way God's word was taught, um, people of the book, people of the book, we didn't go over there to teach our ideals. We didn't go over there to teach our own presuppositions or experiences. We went over there for one reason is because a group of people over there wanted to know God's word. And as Sean, yeah, well, all of us really, but it's just our heart would be, yeah, if the Lord opens that door, we're game. Anywhere, anytime, let's go. Um, that's why we went. And to watch, no matter who, who stood up to teach, it was verse after verse after verse. This fellow here in the, in the picture with Sean is uh, Bosco. Bosco was our scripture reader. So he, he obviously is going to be reading in Kenya, Rwanda. And so, uh, like I said, Lane's teaching through Ephesians. The man of, of few words would just look at Bosco and say, Bosco, I, I need you to read Ephesians 1 through, you know, chapter 1, 1 through whatever. And Bosco would pop out of his chair and read off those verses and sit back down. And then Lane would say, and that leads me to these two cross-references. And Bosco, like a pogo stick, back up, read more verses. I mean, 
All day long, six, seven hours a day, Bosco is there. Up, read the word, sit back down. Up, read the word, sit back down. Just to see no matter who was teaching, we went to share with them the words of God. That's a huge, to me, that was a huge praise to just watch them uh, just really eat up the teaching. But second, just uh, if that's something that the Lord's laid on your heart to go to teach, there's, there's plenty of opportunity a lot of places. But one of our prayers as we sat there and we, we looked at what was going on there in uh, Boneza would be that God would continue to raise up people to go to teach them the word, to teach them to study the word. My heart would be that somebody would take what little bit I did with hermeneutics and push them a little deeper in that how to study and then really focus on the discipleship. They're, they're no different there than we are in the U.S. If there's one thing that's lacking, it's discipleship. I feel like this church hammers on it, and rightfully so, but... By and large, the people I come in contact with, they don't even know what that means. They think it's a new term, right? No, it's not a new term. Jesus got 12 men for a reason, and what did he call them, right? That's what we're commissioned to do, yet today that falls through the cracks, and our prayer would be that, that not only would God raise up people to continue to teach them to know the word and what it looks like to disciple, he would also raise up men in that community, as Sean said, that would grab that torch, faithful men who would rightly divide God's word and would, would really settle into the task of shepherding hearts. So pray for that, would you? Thank you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17, 16, 17, and 18 this morning. The message is entitled, A Thanksgiving Life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to work alongside you. These great opportunities to take the word and, and establish a people who love you already and give them the foundation of the word of God so they don't have to depend on emotion or something they heard years ago. They can study the word for themselves. Lord, I pray that you would just multiply the fruit of the seed that was sown there in Rwanda. And Lord, call even more to go and share. What a great ministry. What a great opportunity. Thank you for our men, for Heidi and her sister that went. Lord, this morning I pray that you give us understanding of the word. Lord, that we might be known individually and corporally as a thankful people, a people that rejoice, a people of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is giving instruction to the flock so that they might be a faithful reflection of Jesus Christ in the world around them. What the world desires is a place they can go where they can be safe, a place that not only talks about the word of God, you know, it's hard to find a bad doctrinal statement when you look on the web. You're looking for a church, you look at a doctrinal statement, they're almost all good. 
The difference is how do people live out the word of God? Not just what do they say, but what do they do? How do they reflect God's love to people around them? People have said that Sunday morning in America at 1045, the place that a lot of people worship, 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America. It's sad. I'm glad in Laramie that we have this opportunity to have people from all over the world come together and they come to our church because we need to be a welcoming people, a loving people. So Paul is just telling them, listen, you need to minister to one another. Somebody gets out of line, you give them the elbows. Hey, get in step. Discipleship, confrontation starts on a personal level. We talked about that last week. But he comes to these three principles here. Verse 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in, every give, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. John MacArthur said, a thorough and accurate understanding of Christian joy is essential for all believers. Paul, Paul's exhortation to the Thessalonians to rejoice always may seem absurd and even impossible. If you think it's just a reaction of emotion, because certainly real things happen, tragedy comes, testing actually happens in the life of a believer. Wallace Francis is always reminding us, you're in a trial, you're just coming out of a trial, or you're ready to go into a new trial. That's the adventure of the Christian life. The thing is, we don't walk alone. We don't have to do it by ourselves. When you see what Christians experience, often I ask myself, how does the world do it without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? They just muddle through. They just struggle through. And they come up with little statements like, well, whatever, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's not true. Break your leg. Are you stronger? No, you got a broken leg now. You may learn some things, but without the Holy Spirit, without grace, they're eventually looking at death apart from God. What God wants to get to us as believers, where he wants to bring us to, is that we are a people of the grace of discipline. Because we're a people of the book, we need grace. Grace is the power and the desire to be obedient to God's word, to be obedient to the Lord. But how do you do that? Where does that come from? Well, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you submit to his will. That's a real thing. It's just not acknowledging, well, Jesus God, I believe he died on the cross. It's when you submit to him and say, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my worthless, sinful life. I want you to be my Savior. You be my Lord. And you follow him. Jesus' invitation was, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. That's the first part of salvation. Amazing Grace, the, the song, says it was grace that taught my heart to fear. You realize you're in trouble. You realize you're not going to make it on your own. You can't earn eternal life. You're not going to make it in this life by yourself. That's God's grace that showed you that. And then it was grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it's God's gift 
that you even recognize your lost condition and he gave you the hope to believe and trust in him. That's God turning the switch on. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 said, just like when God spoke into darkness and said, let there be light, he's the one that shone into our hearts that we were lost and gave us the hope to be able to trust in him. He gave you the power and the desire to submit to God. That's grace. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Power, love, and discipline are graces that God gives us. That we can love people that are not lovable because God loved us. And we were not lovable. We're not worthy of it. To be able to forgive people. To be fearless, no matter what the challenge, that's God's grace. And the discipline to be obedient to the word of God. God says something, we obey it. These are acts of the will. They're not emotional responses. A thorough and accurate understanding of Christian joy is essential for all believers. Paul's exhortation to the Thessalonians to rejoice may seem absurd, until we begin to walk with the Lord. I want to show you how if we get our first response prayer and our first prayer giving thanks, our memory is going to be joy. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. We get into trouble, somebody hurts us, a financial challenge comes up, a loved one passes away, our first response is many times not the right one. Now, Psalm 119, 9-11, the whole chapter of Psalm 119, 160-some verses, is about the Word of God. And it goes through the Hebrew alphabet and to help those young Hebrews, those young Israelis, to be able to memorize that whole chapter because it was Aleph, Beth. It goes through the whole Hebrew alph alphabet, something about God's Word. In the second portion, the question is, how can a young man make his pastorate? How can you make your pastorate? By taking heed according to your word. The response is, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. That's why it's so important for believers not to just know where to go in their Bible to behind God's word in their heart so that when tragedy comes, a challenge comes, a problem comes, the Holy Spirit has the word of God to use, knows where to go. So our first response, according to the word of God, is to be in prayer. It doesn't mean you never come out of your prayer closet. Or if you have to pray while you're driving, you close your eyes. It's, it's just a heart that's always responding, that's walking with God. It's like breathing. God brings a thought to your mind. And you say, oh, I need, you remember, you need to pray for that loved one that's hurting. A person that asks you to pray, you pray for them. God brings you a thought, you don't know why. And so you begin to pray for that person. Later, maybe you get a chance to call them and you say, listen, God put you on my heart today. I was praying for you. What's going on? It's just the attitude of a believing heart that understands he walks with God. And so you're always praying. You pray about everything. That's the Bible's instruction. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. See, worry is a sin. That's what we do personally. 
Trouble comes, you think, well, I'm a responsible mother. I'm a responsible dad. I have to worry. No, you don't have to worry. You can be like the world and worry, but it's not going to help anything. Jesus said that. You can't add to your stature. You can't change anything in life by worrying. The fallacy is that you're in control of anything. I know some of you are very angry because things happen. And they're out of your control. Just give up. Understand the safest doctrine for a believer is the sovereignty of God, that he's always in control. And Pastor Howe is always telling us, reminding us, whatever trial comes, it passes through God's hands first. He's not far from us. He knows exactly what's going on. And it says, don't be anxious about anything, but everything, all things, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the God of all peace will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the first response to any trial, any anger, because you've been hurt, you didn't get your way, something didn't go right, is not get even. God says, you leave vengeance to me. The first response of a believer is to pray. And you pray about everything. That's how big our God is. Sometimes when we're immature, we just wait to pray for the big things, the life-threatening things. God wants to be involved in every part of our life. You know, the, the blessing for me as a discipler is when a new believer really begins to see God work in their life. They, they take those steps of faith. Maybe it's they, they take their check and they say, well, I'm a believer now. I'll, I'll give my fir the first tithe. I'll give that to the Lord in the offering. No strings, I just give it to the Lord. And they, whoo, they think, how's this going to happen? And God shows up and blesses them and they realize that was God. That was God that gave them the instruction to be a giver. And it's God that showed up to rescue them. And they learn that God is active in their life. That's so exciting for me as a discipler. It's wonderful to hear somebody's made a decision, but to see somebody walk in the knowledge and walk in the spirit, then I know they've got a personal relationship. They're off and running. Paul was teaching the Corinthians, and the problem was they'd been saved long enough. That some of them had not realized this. They actually had a walk with God. And instead of desiring meat to eat, they were still needing milk. They were like spiritual babies. And he said, it's time to grow up. And the way we grow is making decisions about trials. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But not just this, he said. We also glory in our trials. Why? Because trials work patience, the ability to endure. And patience gives us the experience of God actually showing up and rescuing and leading and taking us through that trial. And it gives us hope, and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is spread abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit that's given unto us. We get a greater capacity to minister and to love people through our trials. We get a greater capacity to trust God because of trials. And that's why Paul said, I don't just love the fact that I'm saved. He said, I love time in the gym too. Because God is making me 
stronger, more faithful warrior for his work. If we're willing to obey the scripture in the trials. And so a trial comes. Heard many years ago that you know it's a trial when all of a sudden your anger begins to rise. And maybe it's a deep trial and you think, why? That's your first response as you human. Why? Or even worse, why me? And we begin to think in our heart, why we don't deserve to have a trial like this. That's wrong thinking. That's not Christian thinking. It's what? What do I do? The instruction for Scripture is to pray. What do I pray? The next verse says, in everything, give thanks. You see, feeling thankful, we gather on the table at Thanksgiving, and we feel thankful for things that we have lots of food, People around the world don't have the same maybe amount of food as you had around your table. They don't have the wealth that you enjoy. We are a very wealthy country, and yet we're a very angry country, aren't we? We're just very angry. We're more divided racially now than we were even a civil war. How is that possible? Because we are filled with things and we're empty of God. And we think we deserve something and we're missing all of the great riches that God has blessed us with. And so as a nation, we have this rich nation and we are unthankful. The Bible says that that is the mark of an unbeliever. Romans 1.20. Because they knew God, they glorified it not as God, but became unthankful. They became empty in their thought life, they were unthankful. One of the marks of the end times is people are rebellious towards their parents, all kinds of wickedness, and they're unthankful. Unthankful. But the joyful Christian is more concerned about glorifying God than about avoiding, avoiding difficulties. He thinks more of his spiritual riches and eternal glory than he does any present pain or material poverty. Because as you walk with God, God gives you, as you make those decisions, he gives you the strength to endure. He shows up with his grace, and you do things you didn't think you were even able to do, like these fellas going over to Africa. Rex shared in the first service that one thing that hit him is that we're going to be a different culture, we don't want to do something to offend because we want them to receive everything from the word of God. And we don't even speak the same language. So none of them had spoken through an interpreter for, how's that going to work? Are we going to get through everything? And he said, the Lord brought him to Romans 8. That even when we don't know what to pray for, the task is too big. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God knows when he works in a heart where he's taking them, the trials you're going through, exactly what you need. And then he gives us instruction. Your first thought is to pray. And your first prayer is to give thanks. Not to feel thankful. That would be deny the pain that you're in. That's ridiculous. A loved one dies, you feel pain, you feel grief. The difference is, for a loved one that knows the Lord... We sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4. Because the sorrow is ours. They're not sorrowing that they're dead. If they knew the Lord, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. That's where we get that courage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So that our life 
is lived for the glory of God. So the instruction is when you realize all of a sudden, hey, this is a trial. First response is pray. And what you pray is give thanks. And you may not even know what to say. I've been in trials like that. And the Lord brought to my mind, in this you give thanks. You see, feeling thankful is a result or reaction to emotions. Giving thanks, thanks is an act of the will. Forgiving is not a natural response. That's the act of will of a believer who's controlled by the Holy Spirit. To obey is the act of a believer that's spirit-filled, directed by the Spirit. And so he says, you give thanks. And maybe all you can do is think, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not in this alone. And you know, when you begin to take those steps, you'll begin to hear in those deep trials the voice of the Lord like you've never heard the voice of the Lord before. If you live any time with the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, God has given us spiritual words and spiritual thought. This is his spiritual words. This is his commands for us. This is his map for us through any trial. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no trial has taken you, but such is as common to man. But God is faithful. There's no comfort in that. Well, somebody else has been through this before. Big deal. You're hurting now. The encouraging part is God is faithful and not, will not allow you to be tested above your ability and will always make a way through the trial. He's going to lead you through the trial. He's not going to leave you and say, well, you got yourself in this mess. Well, you know, because when trial comes, even if it's not your fault, you begin to think, but what if I'd have done things different? No, no, no. You look at God. You pray and you give thanks and you thank God. God, I'm so thankful that you promised to never leave us nor forsake us. That you promise you're going to be in this trial, that you're not far from us, that you're going to lead me, you're going to tell me what to do, you're going to tell me what to say because, Father, I have no words. There are sometimes tragedy happens. Everybody else is trying to give you even good advice and maybe some, even scripture, and you just hurt so bad you can't hear anything. But I want to tell you something, and I tell people in those situations, you be listening because God is going to be closer to you than he's ever been before. He's going to speak to your heart so clearly, you're going to know the very next step when you need to take it. And the result will be, as he leads you through that trial, when you get to the other side, what you're going to remember is the joy of his spirit. Remember I told you, and if you were at the funeral for, for Ray, Ray went through the death of his wife. And she was sharing the gospel from her deathbed, and she had such joy. And the Sunday after we had her funeral, Ray came to me and he said, Paul, I don't know what's going on. Well, what's, wrong? what's up, Ray? He said, well, my wife just died. And my heart is so full of joy, I don't understand. I said, Ray, that is grace. That is grace. Because when God carries you through a trial, because you don't know what else to do but just lean on him, what you will remember is grace. My dad wanted me to share with our family. We used to get to, together with our extended family. There's like 200 of us now from Ken and Lula. We're like rabbits. 
And so every year this Christian family would gather together. I want to share a trial that we've been through. And so I, I shared the trial, and one aunt came up to me and patted the arm, said, oh, we feel so bad for you. I said, no, no, you totally missed the point of the testimony. Yes, it was a hard thing. Yes, it caused sorrow. But what we remember is joy. How God just changed the dials to joy. We were able to go on. And we, we didn't even understand what was happening because that's God's grace in obedience. Paul talked about being knocked down but getting back up. Sometimes we think, well, I sure don't want to be the Apostle Paul. I remember one of my sister-in-laws saying that one time. She says, well, I really don't want to be as faithful as Apostle Paul. Look what he had to go through, right? It's like faithfulness equals tribulation, right? That's not why Paul's saying those things. Paul tells about all the things he went through that you might and that we as believers might understand the amazing power of the grace of God to sustain us supernaturally. I wonder how in the world, when you read Fox's Book of Martyrs or the modern rendition of it, uh, Jesus Freaks, how could people be tortured and sing hymns? How could they be singing hymns in the flames? That's how powerful our God is to bring joy and peace in the midst of that kind of devastation. How overwhelming is the love of God. And that's why Paul, his prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, beginning 13, his prayer for them was that they be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. That they might experience overwhelmingly, exceedingly, abundantly more than they could ever ask or think in spite of the circumstances. It starts with giving thanks in the trial. And it leads to a peace that will cause us to rejoice in all things because God stretches our capacity for him. And then we know for certain, we, we see it in the pages of scripture, but now we know it by experience, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me by quiet waters. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He causes me to lie down in green pastures. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me, the Lord. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That's where we live now, folks. We're living out Christ in the presence of an adverse, angry culture that doesn't love Jesus. They see Jesus, of all things, as the enemy. Things haven't changed. What did Jesus do in his life? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It was a very narrow invitation. In the meantime, he was feeding people and healing people and loving people and forgiving people and causing the dead to come back to life. And what did they do because of that? They crucified him on a cross. The cultures haven't changed. The culture you live in, it's adverse to Jesus. Why? Because Satan is the prince and the power of the air. But here, if he's your shepherd, he prepares a table before you, a banquet table in the presence of your enemies. The psalmist said, in spite of all the trials you've been through, 
my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of the life. That's the reason to rejoice. Because he's our shepherd. No matter what happens, we have this cause to rejoice. But if you're not obedient in the trials, you're not going to experience that. It's still true. But you're not going to have the experience of it. And we have the sure and steadfast inheritance that never fades away. That for the children of God, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And oh, the worship. Oh, the joy. Father, we thank you for your word. How powerful it is. What an amazing reminder. Lord, that we have been given new life. We have the DNA of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the grace to be obedient in any situation, but Lord, teach us to always respond in prayer. Whether it's joy or trial, to always respond in prayer and thanksgiving, Lord, that we might hear your voice and remember that we don't walk alone, that you are leading us. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. And we have a hope and a home prepared. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning that have not surrendered to your voice. Oh, Lord, give them the grace to trust in you, to rest in your hope, to cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then we'll give you all the glory, Lord. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for being our Savior. Amen.